Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series called Killing Me, and we think it's going to be a blessing to you. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. We'll be there this morning. We're talking this morning about Jesus as our brother. And I really want to just get started by digging right into this scripture. So Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, it says this, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we're speaking, but there's a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that's not subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. Isn't it crazy what we've lost? Uh, That's a reference, you know, to the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them the command to rule the world and subdue it. And that's what they did until they sinned. When they sinned, uh, that was lost. We lost the authority that we had over the world. And so here you and I find ourselves in that last sentence, at present we do not see everything subject to us. And yet everything is subject anyway. Just a little background. Verse 9, but we do see Jesus, that's the good news, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He broke him. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, by the way, you and I are Abraham's descendants, just so you know. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This right here is a stunning portion of Scripture, isn't it? That Jesus would take on flesh and blood. Why? Because you and I have flesh and blood. 
in order that he would suffer death to defeat the devil. And then why does he do that? Well, it says that Jesus didn't do that for strangers. He did that for brothers and sisters. And that's what a really great big brother does. When he sees his siblings in need, he steps in. And that's what Jesus is. And not only that, chapter 2, verse 11 there, it says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Can you let that sink into your heart this morning? That Jesus is proud to call you his brother or his sister. I'll never forget when I first read this passage. I was 15 years old. I grew up uh, in a home with two sisters. I'm the oldest of three, so there's me and my two younger sisters. And I love my sisters, so don't get me wrong at all, but I always wanted a brother. I got in trouble because I treated my sisters like they were brothers, and they weren't brothers. There was the time that I threw a snowball at my sister and hit her in the face really hard, and she cried. I got in trouble. Then there was another time I was wrestling with my sister, and we got a little rough, and I punched her, and she cried, and I, said, and I was told, you don't hit girls, and I got in trouble, and I don't hit girls. <laughs> I learned that lesson. <laughs> and one of the things I, I learned was, man, I wish I had a brother, and I would look at brothers, and they seemed like they were having such a great time beating on each other and roughhousing and horse playing and things like that. And I always wanted a blood brother, and I never got one. So I think for me, this is why this section of Scripture really um, has spoken to me so much. I would say this is probably my favorite chapter of the whole Bible right here. I'll never forget the day. I was 15 years old. And people, someone had challenged me to read the Bible for myself because I grew up in a Christian home. And so I, I was told, hey, you need to see this for yourself. I mean, I'm thankful for my mom and dad, but I needed to own it, right? And so I did. I dug into Scripture, and I was 15, and it was the summertime, and we didn't have school, so I was bored and had a lot of free time on my hands at 15. And so I found myself reading you know, a lot of the Bible, I was following the um, flop and stop method where you just read that, that today. And so that's what I was doing. And, and I came across this passage. And, and this passage absolutely floored me. Because at the same time, we're having an, I'm having an argument with my mom and dad about family vacation. I wanted to bring my friend Teddy on vacation. My best friend Teddy lived across the street. And my parents kept saying, no, it's family vacation. Friends don't go on family vacation. And this was a big argument we were having. I was 15, right? You, gotta, you understand, it's a different, different time. So I'm, I'm in the middle of this argument with my parents, this ongoing argument for the summer. And I come across this passage. And in my 15-year-old brain, here's how that connected. You following this? If Jesus is my friend, that's really good. But he doesn't go on family vacation. And it was as though Jesus was standing in my bedroom that day, inviting me, will you be my little brother? This verse, 11, absolutely has changed my life. Because not only does Jesus call me his brother, 
But do you see the words, not ashamed? Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is proud to be your big brother. He, he owns it. He's glad for it. He wears it with pride. It's stunning. And, and the truth is, this is the verse that actually has shaped and informed my whole life since that moment. It's changed my identity. It's the reason why I'm a pastor. It's really the reason why I'm standing right here today after all these years. Because I felt this desire, like people need to know this. You need to know that the second person of the Trinity calls you his brother or sister. That, that he's proud to do it. And this is not some kind of strange doctrine. I know we don't hear about it very often. But as you'll see this week, it is all throughout Scripture. Family language. Where Jesus over and over and over again communicates his desire to welcome you into his family. You've probably had similar defining moments in your own life. This is the one for me, deeply personal. So if you can just give me a little slack this morning, I guess, um, this is a personal message, and I'm praying that you have the same encounter that I had when I was 15, that you can come into this same relationship, to know Jesus as your big brother. Do you know him that way? I pray by the end of this morning's message that you will, that you'll take it. So here's our, here's our outline. I have three simple parts to our outline. First, we're going to begin with a bird's eye view of the whole Bible so that we can see the history of brothers and sisters in Scripture as it contrasts to Jesus. And then the second point is why it's so important to Jesus that we would be his younger siblings. Why is it important to him? For Jesus, this is deeply personal as well, and I hope you see that. And then the third part is what our lives look like with Jesus as our big brother, because it changes things. It changes the way we see God. It changes the way we relate to one another. It changes the way we pray. It changes a lot of things. So we're going to close by just looking at some of the ways that our lives are changed by having a relationship with Jesus like this. So you ready to dive in? So first, there's the bird's eye view of the whole Bible, and that's this. The first thing you notice in the Bible is that there are a lot of really bad brothers. We have a lot of brother issues, if you will, in the Scripture going on, beginning with the very first brothers, Cain and Abel. Very first brothers. Cain, the older brother of Abel, jealous of Abel's relationship with God, so he killed him. Problem solved. A couple generations later, we meet Ishmael. He's the older son of Abraham who mocked and belittled Isaac, the younger son of Abraham. And Ishmael's treatment of Isaac is so harsh and bad that Abraham was forced to kick Ishmael out of the family. Isaac grows up. He has two sons, twins. The older son is Esau. The younger son is Jacob. Now, it's a longer story, a lot more convoluted, but let's just say they had a lot of tension in their relationship. Jacob has 12 sons. I don't have all the fingers to do it, but Jacob has 12 sons. The older 10 of the 12 sons, 
they conspired against Joseph, the 11th son, and sold him as a slave into Egypt. How about some family dysfunction? See? A number of generations later, a shepherd boy named David is sent innocently by his father to check on his older brothers who are on the front lines of battle fighting for the king. And so David arrives on the scene with a care package for his older brothers, and the brothers despise him. And they accuse him of coming just to stir up trouble. And in the text, David says, what have I done now? As though this is a regular thing in their family. Later, David becomes the king, and then he dies, and he leaves the throne to his son Solomon, but Solomon's the younger son. The older brother of Solomon, Adonijah, tried to make a grab for the throne, to usurp it away from Solomon. In fact, Solomon ended up having to kill his older brother, Adonijah, to defend the throne. In fact, I can't think of one example, if I think through the Bible, one example of older brothers who actually treated their younger brothers with respect and kindness. Like even in the story of the prodigal son, think about that, that Jesus told that story. Now, those aren't real brothers, but it's a story. And in the story, what do you have? You have the younger son who's prodigal, and he squanders the dad's wealth, and then he comes back, he repents, he comes back to the family, but the older brother despises the younger brother and does not want to welcome him back into the home. Isn't this something? Now, ladies, you're not off the hook because sisters had some problems in the Bible too. We've got a couple of examples, maybe not as many, but Sarah and Hagar, they were not blood sisters, but Hagar worked for Sarah. And let's just say their relationship was pretty rough. Then we have Leah and her younger sister, Rachel. They were blood sisters, and they were constantly in tension. And then in the New Testament, we have a whole book devoted to getting two women to get along. The book of Philippians is really written by Paul. I know we focus on Philippians as the book of joy, but the heart of Philippians is urging this church to help Syntyche and Yodia, two women, to get along in the Lord. It's kind of the thrust of the whole book, because these two ladies, their fight was starting to affect everybody. And Paul's like, you girls got to get along. You got to figure this out. So why is all this sibling rivalry, why is all this family feuding significant in the Bible? Because what it does is provides a drastic contrast between our typical human experience that's fraught with jealousy and conflict and Jesus. Jesus stands out above all of it. He's the ultimate big brother. Remember in all of our examples of brothers, it was the older brother who was mistreating the younger brother. And now we come to Jesus, who's the older brother. And look at what he does for his younger brothers and sisters. See, he stands out in beautiful contrast. It's into this mess that Jesus steps. He's the perfect brother reaching out to his squibbling and squabbling siblings. You might recall there's an old song by the Hollies, Uh, It's a really old song. 
entitled, He's Not Heavy, He's My Brother. That song rang a bell. I kept thinking of that song as I was writing this this week, and I had to look it up. Boy, is it an old song. But, um, but the song, the, the, the backstory of the song is taken from something that happened in 1918. Jack, you probably know this, don't you? This is, this is your era. Yeah, this is Jack's era. Okay. You know the Hollies. You, you, know, you don't know 1918, Jack. <laughs> but yes, in 1918, the backstory behind this song is in 1918, there's a young boy named Howard Loomis who uh, was abandoned by his mother and left on the front steps of Father Flanagan's home for boys. Howard had polio, and so he wore heavy, bulky leg braces, and he walked very hard. He struggled to walk. One day, Father Flanagan saw an older boy named Reuben Granger carrying Howard. And Father Flanagan was really moved by how much this boy Reuben was struggling to carry Howard. He's got his bulky braces, and he's, the weight of him is on his back, and he's trying to take him up the stairs, and he's trying to navigate all of this. And Father Flanagan commented how difficult that must be, how hard that must be. And Reuben's response was, he ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. That's what inspired the song. And that line actually became the motto for the boys' home, which is still in existence today, over 100 years later. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. You know, sometimes we all need to be carried. And sometimes we need to do the lifting, don't we? We know what it is to be on both sides of that. But the question I got for you is, who carried you when you needed it the most? Who carried you? You know what I love about last Sunday was the baptisms. Yes, Jesus. I love the baptisms. I love to hear the stories in the baptisms. And I love how every story has a common thread. Jesus. You ever notice how all of us got stuck in a ditch somewhere? And we're all in a different ditch. Jesus finds us all in a different ditch, you know? But just last Sunday, we hear the stories. Some of us have been rescued out of the ditch of addiction. Others of us lifted out of the ditch of self-righteous religiosity. He lifted some of us from the ditch of despair and depression. He lifted others of us from the ditch of pride and self-reliance. He lifted some of us from the ditch of loneliness. He lifted others of us from the ditch of busyness. But the common thread through all these stories The hero in every one of those stories is Jesus, our faithful big brother who came after us, who came into the ditch, and and he wasted no time, right? And you and I are the prodigal siblings. We're the prodigal sons and daughters who, who squandered the family birthright, who despised it, and we got ourselves trapped and hopelessly stuck. And Jesus, the faithful big brother, came after us. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? He is. He's, oh, he's worthy of a hand, that's for sure. But you know what makes Jesus even better, if you can top that? It's the reason why he does it. Why is it so important to Jesus 
that you and I be his brothers and sisters. And to answer this, we need to go back to Ezekiel chapter 46, verses 16 through 18. And I just have a portion of the scripture here, but I'll read the whole section for you so you can get it. But here's what it says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. If the prince gives a gift of land to one of his sons as an inheritance, it will belong to him and his descendants forever. But if the prince gives a gift of land from his inheritance to one of his servants, the servant may keep it only until the year of Jubilee, which comes every 50th year. At that time, the land will return to the prince. But when the prince gives gifts to his sons, those gifts will be permanent. Now I get that this is an obscure scripture, and no doubt you have not heard this on Caleb's verse of the day. This is not a part of your daily crumb devotional usually. This is not the section of the Bible that a lot of people go to for inspiration, Ezekiel chapter 46. But here's the, here's the context in this, okay, just so you understand this. It's super cool. So Ezekiel is a prophet preaching to Israel. He's preaching to God's people. And he's, and, he's, uh, and, and he's preaching to the princes, to the royal family of Israel. You know, Israel at this point was a monarchy, right? They weren't a democracy like you and I are familiar with. They're a monarchy. So they have a royal family. And the royal family, well, had become abusive and had used their royal status to oppress the people that they were supposed to care for and to make themselves wealthier and to make themselves more comfortable and all that sort of thing, as you can imagine the abuses would be. And so God naturally does not like this. So Ezekiel is preaching against this abuse. Does that make sense? But as you can also appreciate, not everybody in the royal family was this way. There were some you know, good-hearted people in the royal family, as you can imagine. I mean, we, we live in that sort of a world today, don't we? There are some leaders and politicians and all among us that are just bad news. And then there's no doubt a few good-hearted ones in the mix. It's harder and harder to tell who they are, but there's a few good ones there. Same thing, Ezekiel is speaking to this, these good-hearted ones, and he says this specifically, let's say there's a prince who desires to share his property with one of his servants. Wow, now that's a really nice prince. Wouldn't you like to work for that guy? Yes, he wants to share a part of his wealth with you. Spectacular, except there was a law in ancient Israel, and it was essentially this, that land in the promised land was uber important. Like your like everything rested on you having your little piece of the promised land and having that stay in your family. And so to protect that, there was this law, the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, regardless of how much, you know, whether or not you had to sell your land or if you lost it or kept it or whatnot, at the end of every 50 years, there was a reset button and everybody went back to their original piece of family property. That was the, the, the year of Jubilee. That's what they did in order to protect that family land so that it always stayed in your family's name. So if this prince wants to give his land to somebody, 
If he gives it to a, a, a servant, well, the servant can have it, as we read, but the servant has to give it back at the year of Jubilee, because that was the law. Unless, of course, that person became a son. If he gave the piece of land to a son, well, now it stays in the family. And then he can just keep that forever and ever and ever. And here's the thing about Jesus. If Jesus, if you are a servant of Jesus, that's a huge blessing, is it not? He is a benevolent master. He is as kind-hearted as it gets. I would want to serve him forever and ever and ever if that was my privilege, right? And he would be happy to give and to be generous and to share what he's got with you. Absolutely. But Jesus doesn't want to just share it with you. He wants you to own it with him. And so he adopts you. He makes you his brother or sister so that he can give you his property. And it's yours forever. Essentially, this is what, um, essentially this is what Romans 8, 15, and 17 says. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. You see that? Since we are his children, we are his heirs. Not only are we his heirs, it says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So we share the inheritance with Jesus. Together with Christ, we are heirs. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. We are heirs together with Christ of the greatest inheritance that the world has ever known. Now, it's not all cupcakes and butterflies, is it? There's suffering involved, is there not? That's what it says at the end of that. You say, well, boy, why does there have to be suffering involved? Well, because we're part of the most hated family ever. Our big brother Jesus suffered at the hands of rebels. You and I will probably take a few hits too. But don't you want it? Could there be anything better than to be included in this inheritance to share this family? What a privilege. Don't you want, isn't there something deep inside you that longs to be a part of something much bigger than yourself? Isn't there something inside of you that wants to be a part of something that's got a, a mission, a purpose, a direction, that's doing something, that's changing the world? You know, don't you want to be a part of something like that? Don't, isn't there something inside of you that wants to be a part of a relationship with the kind of mutual respect and admiration like the one that Christ has expressed for us? Don't you long to be a part of a relationship like that? Isn't there something inside of you that says all this injustice and all this jazz going on in our world right now, like 
There's something that just ain't right. And there's got to be something better. There's got to be something more than this, see? And all you and I have ever known, let's face it, on this earth and our experience is sibling rivalry. We've ex- all we've known is quibbling and conflict and division, right? But Jesus is inviting us into something far better, isn't he? He's welcoming us into something. And, and here's the kicker. He doesn't need to do it. Jesus doesn't have to do it. He's already the prince. He already owns it all. He's the perfect son, and we're the prodigals. Yet he laid down his life so that we could be adopted and share the inheritance with him. And so that we could have that forever. I mean, could there be anything better? You know, the way to turn a stranger into a brother is to treat him like a brother. I read that somewhere recently. I thought that was good. Isn't that exactly what Jesus has done with us? He's turned us from strangers into family by treating us like family. Before we were ever acting like family or, you know, before we ever knew it. So how do I get that? You might wonder, how do I get that? John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So I believe in Christ, I accept Christ, and then he gives me the right. So it's not a right that I'm born with. It's not a right that I just, you know, deserve and own. It's, it's a given right. And Jesus gives it to you if you believe and accept him and receive him. He gives you the right to become a child of God. And then it's yours. It's truly all yours. And then you get to spend the rest of eternity learning how to spend it. I love that. You get to spend it? Yeah. Why not? It's infinite. Literally, spend it. And this brings us to our final part. What does it look like? for me to be a brother or sister of Christ? Like, how does this change the way that I behave? And I think one of the clearest passages in Scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. I would encourage you to read it. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, three chapters. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. But the whole sermon is really about this living in this life. Like, what does it look like to have God as my Father and Christ as my brother, like he's inviting us. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Here's what it looks like. First of all, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. So one of the family traits that we have is to bring peace. You'll see that more as we go further. He says, let your light shine so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So my, my light shines because it and it looks like my father. He says, be reconciled to your brother, verse 24. So part of being in the family of God is not just being a peacemaker, but it's bringing reconciliation. Love your enemies, it says. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. The the little context there of being perfect as your father is perfect is exactly this, to love your enemies. That's how God behaves, and that's how his kids behave. You and I 
never meet an enemy. Because we're brothers and sisters of Jesus, and he's never met an enemy. He loves his enemies. Give in secret. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hmm. He says, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I don't need to really worry about what other people see because my father sees it and he's pleased with it. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans to get God's attention. That's the, that's the uh, thrust of it. He says, why? Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the next one, when you pray, he says, say our father. Wow. If you really want something fun, take the Lord's prayer or the, the our father, as the Catholics call it. I was an adult before I realized those two were the same thing. <laughs> the Our Father. You know, I grew up Protestant, so I called it the Lord's Prayer, and all my Catholic friends talk about the Our Father, and I'm like, oh, I thought they were two different things, and then I realized, oh, no, they're the same thing. <laughs> anyway, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. You want to have some fun, take that prayer and read it and pray it with Jesus, because you are. Jesus says, let's talk to our Father, His Father, your Father. And so you really want to change that whole prayer. You're praying it with Jesus, not like Jesus. You're praying with Jesus. And if you think about that, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because it's by the blood of Christ that you and I are given entrance into the presence of God, and so we come with Him into the presence of God. I don't come there on my own merits. I come there on His when you pray, say, Our Father. Prayer is changed. Your prayer life is changed when you relate to Jesus as a younger brother or sister. It takes the pressure off. You don't have to be fancy in your prayers. You're just talking to our Father. Forgive men when they sin against you is the next one. Why? Well, because your Father has forgiven you. Again, comes back to the same sort of idea. We, we just never met an enemy. And I know the forgiveness that I've received, and so I give forgiveness freely. He says, when you fast, don't make it obvious. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not worry, he says. Look at the birds. Your Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? So worry is not a part of the program when I'm a younger brother or sister of Jesus. Why? Well, have you seen my dad? He's loaded. See? Do not worry. Look at the bird. Your father feeds them. He takes care of them. You're a lot more valuable than they are. Well, that's good to know, isn't it? You're a lot more valuable than that bird out there. <laughs> yes, thank you, Lord. And lastly, he says, ask and it will be given. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? And there's so much more here, but let me just summarize these with a couple of quick little points. So here's, this, here's some signs. Here's, here's what it looks like when you relate to Jesus as your father. <clears throat> he says, you know, you, you do the works that your father does. Why? Because we're in the family business. And the family business is now reconciling, forgiving, making wrongs right, restoration. Like, that's our family business. 
And that's the work that we're about. Second, we enjoy security and rest. Our Father provides for us, so we don't need to worry about not having enough. Look at us. We're all pretty well provided for, aren't we? I mean, I have to work to lose the food that I eat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I have been blessed. We live generously because there's always more where that came from. We, we don't care who gets the credit as long as the work gets done. Right? We do it in secret. That's the, we do it in secret because the Father sees it. But really, as long as it gets done, man, that's great. Why? Because in Christ, I've already received my reward. Have I not? Oh my goodness, I've been rewarded. So it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as it gets done. Number five, we pray with confidence that God hears us. Why? He's my father. And he's a good father. And so that means I can pray. I don't have to worry about being uh, religious in my prayers. I can pray raw and unfiltered. Just the real me. Number six, we can forgive freely, even the greatest wrongs, because we've been forgiven, because we've been welcomed home. So I give what I've been given. And then lastly, we don't hide our own sin anymore. I mean, I've already been adopted. The papers are already signed. It's a done deal. I'm in, right? I don't need to hide my sin. My Father loves me. Do you see how good it is? to be Jesus' younger brother or sister. I pray that you own this. I do, because it'll change your life. I know some of us have had negative experiences in our families, negative experiences with maybe a father that was not the greatest father, or maybe even negative experience with an older brother. Some of you did, and it was not a good experience. And for that, I'm deeply sorry. Hear my heart. I feel that hurt with you. But one of the things that I think that you need to hear as we close, Karis, you can play. One of the things um, that you need to hear as we close this morning is God is nothing like your earthly father or your brother. Even if your earthly father or brother like were the best, God is nothing like them. He's far better. So truly, it's almost unfair for us to try to compare or contrast any of anything in our experience, whether it's positive or negative, with God, because He's far superior to it. And so I just want to ask you this morning, are you willing to take God out from underneath of the shadow of your experience? You know, because that's kind of how we do that. We put God under the shadow of our negative experiences And then we define God that way. And so are you willing to take God out from under the shadow of your experience and allow him to redefine it for you? Allow him to redefine what a father looks like. Allow Jesus to redefine what an older brother looks like. I think when you do that, you will begin to see his goodness discover that he really is the one you've always been looking for. But for all of us this morning, I want to know, do you 
hear Jesus inviting you, saying, will you be my younger brother or sister? You know, I remember the day, I, I will never forget it. When I was 15, it was August, it was hot, my house didn't have air conditioning. Sitting in front of a box fan, doing my flop and stop method through the Bible. Coming across Hebrews 2.11. And it was like Jesus invited me. Would you be my brother? And my prayer that afternoon was, Jesus, if that's what you want to have with me, then that's what I want to have with you. I'm in. I don't know if I prayed that right or not, but that was my heart. I knew what Jesus was inviting me to, and I knew that I wanted it. And so I, I ask you the same question. You now know what Jesus is inviting you into. He's inviting you into a familial a relationship. He's inviting you to be his younger brother or sister. And now the question is, would you receive it? There's, there's so much to being in the family of God. These seven things that I mentioned are just beginning to, just scratching the surface. There's so much. The, the wealth, the inheritance that we have in Christ is so vast. We will spend forever tapping into it and understanding it. But wow, it's going to be great. I invite you to join me in it this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, wow, look at that. Thank you for the privilege of calling you Father. Isn't that something? That, Lord, I can flop from one thing to the next and just call you Father with the next breath and not worry about retribution, not worry about being punished or a lightning bolt killing me or anything like that. Because you, the God of the universe, are my dad. And I thank you, Jesus, for all that you did to make that possible. I thank you, Jesus, for the closeness, for the intimacy, for the joy. I thank you that you walk with us in the fire, that you're always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. I thank you, Jesus, that you rescued us. You found us in the ditch and you pulled us out. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I am the prodigal son. I am. And you're the perfect one. And yet, you came looking for me. And I'm forever grateful to you for it. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We hope that today's message was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org.